Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Indefensive Plants podcast, the official podcast of indefensiveplants.com. What's up? This is your host, Matt. Welcome to the show. How is everyone doing this week? Today, we are diving into the world of prairie gardening. And who better to talk to us about this than author Benjamin Vogt? Benjamin is the owner of Monarch Gardens LLC, a native prairie landscape design company, but he is also author of this incredible book called Prairie Up, An Introduction to Natural Garden Design. And within this book, you are going to find a wonderful set of ways of approaching not only how to grow grassland plants in a beautiful and inspiring way, but also how to navigate things like plant sourcing, garden tools, and working within city ordinances. I can't recommend this book enough, especially if you live in an area where grasslands once grew and no longer do today, because any little bit you can do to help this ecosystem is going to be very, very beneficial. And starting with Prairie Up is a great way to do just that. So I don't want to keep you from it any longer. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Benjamin Vogt. I hope you enjoy. Alrighty, Benjamin Vogt, it is so great to have you on the podcast. I am really excited to talk to you about your book today. But first, let's start off with an introduction. Tell everyone a little bit about who you are and what it is you do. I am a prairie garden designer. So that means I'm basically using a lot of native plants, uh, uh, native to the prairie region where I find myself here in the middle of the country. And then I do a lot of speaking uh, around the nation, even around the world. And uh, yeah, sell some online classes and, and you know, it's a, it's a multifaceted life. Nice. And you've done an incredible job. We're here today to talk to you about your book, Prairie Up, an introduction to natural garden design. And before we get into that, I'm curious where this all began for you, uh, because it's obvious it's a passion. It's truly a profession and you do it really well, uh, but it had to start somewhere. So where did that really begin? It started in two distinct places, I think I could say. Um, and uh, the first would have to be when I was uh, much, much younger, uh, growing up gardening with my mom. I think for a lot of us, that's how it starts, or at least there's this nascent seed that's put in us by our hmm. by our mothers or grandparents or fathers or whoever. Um, she was always an, an avid gardener, uh, always buying new plants, and she'd sometimes j- drag me to the nursery and Maybe not so much drag me. I, <laughs> I, I came to enjoy it actually because I got out of the house away from my sisters. So. Nice. Uh, and I would help her plant outside. Um, so, but I was never like, oh my god, mom, let's go to the nursery and <laughs> let's plant outside. Woo, you know. Yeah. Um, but then, so see, you know, we I went off to college, went off to grad school, got my master's in Ohio, moved out to Nebraska to do my PhD. And moving into my into my townhome, my mom says, you know what, you really need some plants out here on the front patio. Let's go to the nursery. So we went. And so I had my own little patch and I experimented with that for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And I got married. My wife and I bought a, a full-size home. And I told her, I looked at her and I said, okay, you ready? <laughs> you know, Uh-oh. we're going to, we're going to do this now. 1500 square feet. We started out nice. with 20, 20 yards of wood mulch to get it ready. Hmm. And, uh, and that, that was in the day when she would actually help out in the garden. So. <laughs> She's learned her lesson by now. I guess. She's learned her lesson. Now. <laughs> Let him be. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's where it started. I would spend eight hours a day outside. Uh, we moved into this house, just, just planting away. Nice. That's a really cool way to get into it. And of course, make it your own. Right. But you know, there's a lot of ways to garden and it's obvious that native plants seem to be at the center of your focus, which is, you know, music to my ears, but 
it, uh, it doesn't have to be that way. So when did you kind of go from just general horticulture to really focusing in on, on nature, ecology, native plants, and, and kind of eloquently restoring a lot of what has been lost, especially from the Midwest? Yeah, again, you know, that's that's just been a process of trial. I mean, trowel and error <laughs> and just, you know, learning from the plants. But no, when I started gardening here, I was just buying whatever the plant tags at the nursery uh, said and I thought might work here in my icky, you know, nasty wet clay. And I, I didn't know. And obviously plant tag information doesn't provide nearly enough. Sure. Uh, so, yeah, so it was, it, it was, it was a clear clear day for me it was it was going to my milkweed my one gallon milkweed that i had planted that cost 15 dollars uh, i saw caterpillars eat caterpillars eating the leaves and i was just like heck no this is not gonna stand <laughs> oh, no. i spent 15 bucks on this so i'm halfway back from the garage with my spray bottle and i said you know what just out of curiosity i'm gonna google what what's going on here and that that very quickly changed uh, how I gardened, uh, and I mean that th that that was it. I just started reading, and then uh, I think um, God must have been soon after uh, Doug Ptolemy came out with his book, and then it really snowballed after that. Nice. Sounds like uh, Ptolemy was a sort of catalyst for both of us in in terms of how we garden. Then, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's <laughs> he's done it for a lot of people, hasn't he? Yeah. And then you know, and I think too, once you. Once you start uh, learning your native plants in your garden, then you start to think, well, okay, I'm, I'm creating this ecosystem here, but what about all the ecosystems around me and how can I be an advocate for those? So things things really do snowball. Yeah, yeah. I feel like really kind of getting into gardening in a big way and especially, of course, native gardening, it, it made me much more of sort of a hometown fan, right? It made me connected to the place where I grew up in a way that you know most other cultural expressions don't. Uh, and it, it introduced me to this idea that really everywhere has got their own suite of natives and different interactions among plants and animals. And yeah, it, it just, it turns something on in my brain that changed the way I look at really everything in life. It's, and you know, it's, it's so cool to go to other places and, and, and see those different plants and those different plant communities and wildlife that are using them. That's exciting. I don't, I don't want to go to cities across the country and across the world and see the same gosh darn <laughs> gardens, you know, and the same plants. That's, that's like, you know, I don't need my horticulture McDonaldized. So. Right, right. Yeah. It is frustrating how uniform everything becomes, how traditional everything becomes. And it, it I just can't see it even from a creative level of like, don't you want to see something slightly different? It doesn't have to be the rarest or the rare or the unattainable, but just switch it up, please. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, it, it, I guess tastes are varied as people, so I can't really complain too much, but you know, it's one thing to be gardening at home, changing the landscape that you are in charge of, but how did you go from being a nice at-home gardener, learning everything you can to starting your own design firm and really doing more communication, being an advocate about this in a bigger way? Yeah, uh, uh, after a couple of years, I don't I don't know how I heard about a garden tour in town, but I heard about it and I decided, you know what, I, I, I want to stroke my ego a little bit or, or I don't <laughs> I Maybe that's not what it was, but I decided to get on that garden tour and um, people were coming through you know, a couple hundred and they, some of them were saying, do you ever do consulting work? I love what you're doing here. Hmm. And I said, no, but I guess I could try doing that on the side. I mean, I was a professor at the time and 
you know, so, okay, I can do that. Uh, and then a couple of years later, I was on another tour and, you know, my, my consultant experience had grown somewhat. And then some people were saying, uh, well, do you ever design these kind of spaces? I was like, well, I guess I could try that. Hmm. Uh, and then, and let's see, and then my university let me go. And then my wife and I sat down at dinner one night and I said, what do you think? Do you yeah. think I, could, could I try doing this full time? Um, it, it could be rough for a year or two, and it was rough for a year yeah, or two. I can imagine. Uh, because, I mean, you know, like a, like a lot of landscape designers out there, uh, you know, a lot of us are self-taught. It's about it's about a passion that just went totally insane. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, you you read everything. You you read all kinds of research, and you read all kinds of, you know, whatever, and you just and you just started dabbling to an extreme level. So yeah. that's that's how it went. I, I'm fascinated by that because I think to many people, especially if you get into it sort of later in life, whatever later in life means uh, to the individual, it does kind of seem off limits or something that, oh, I missed the boat. I didn't go to school for this. I didn't have all of the techniques and things down. But it, it, people like you are living proof that like if passion is where it's at and it's driving you and you have that thirst for knowledge and you're open to learning, a lot can happen and success can be found. I mean, again, it can take a while, but these are what passionate pursuits are all about. It's lifelong learning. Yeah. And I certainly, I certainly did, you know, I, in some ways I feel like I wasted a lot of my life in grad school. No, yeah. <laughs> Empathy. I was like, friend. yeah, so <laughs> I figured, uh, so it's like, I feel like I'm getting, I'm getting to the game late. Not, not just, not just for my retirement fund, but just, you know, <laughs> here, here I am in my forties and, you know, and there are lots of times, uh, I, I absolutely wish I, I had some sort of horticulture degree or, or, or land or landscape architecture, uh, uh class classes behind me because there's so much I don't know. Right. And that's, that's just going to have to be down in the future. If my business grows, I'm just going to have to hire some smart young whippersnapper and take care go. of that. For me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Teach me your ways. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, that's encouraging though. And, and it just goes to show you again that like, just try. Right. And, and you know, there's going to be failures, there's going to be steep learning curves and there's always going to be unattainable knowledge or just stuff you haven't gotten to because of time and money and all that stuff. But yeah, I think you have certainly carved yourself out a niche here. And, you know, I think, would you call Prairie Up sort of a culmination of what you've learned to date? I mean, there's a lot of really good information in here, but it seems like everything's kind of been pointing in this direction for you. Yeah, I, I would say it's a culmination of everything I've learned to date. And there are things I already like to change because I've learned new things. So <laughs> <laughs> we are going to need a second edition in a year or two. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, this, this, this book, so I so, saw uh, my other book is a new garden ethic that came out five years ago or so. And that was just really deep philosophical. Why, um, I've had people tell me it's like a hand grenade thrown into the room of horticulture. Nice. And, and so that's the why. And then, and then I, uh, one of the editors contacted me at the university of Illinois press and said, Hey, I've been following you. Um, have you ever thought about doing a, you know, an actual how-to book where we're, we're pivoting our, our, our backlist a little bit. We want to have some of these trade books out there, especially with gardening. And I was like, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, I had all these online classes and lectures I've given. I, I had all the material pretty much there hmm. now, just how to put it together and in a way that was usable for, um, uh, even larger audience. Interesting. Yeah. And that to me seems intimidating, you know, because I, I look at all of the advice out there. I read a lot. I try to learn from other people, but it seems like as soon as you try to generalize, something 
gets thrown in the gears that really mm. mucks the whole process up. But you've managed to achieve it in a really interesting and, and beautiful way with Prairie Up. And uh, I know it's one thing to talk to people, especially locally, but the Midwest, the Prairie sort of space on North America's continent is vast and there's a lot of different ways to approach it. There's a lot of different species that call this type of habitat home. Where do you begin? I mean, you mentioned sort of putting together classes and lectures, but how did how did you even approach this process? Because I get intimidated just thinking about getting that call from the <laughs> editor, let alone the pen to paper, so to speak. Oh, you know, when when opportunity knocks, you you have to open the door, even even when you're not ready. I mean, that's that's an entrepreneur speaking right there. Because I've I've had garden design projects where it was like, oh my God, I don't know, I don't know how to do that. I don't even know where to start. <laughs> but yeah, sure, I can do it. <laughs> you know? So yeah, why not? It's the same thing. And that that's that's where you learn the most. So um the way I, the way I look at it, and this is a really big cheat that's going to get me into a lot of trouble, mm-hmm. is that I have this I have this belief that there is prairie and grassland across much wider expanses of the country because we have Piedmont grasslands, we have savanna from the southeast, um, we have grasslands in California, or you know, in the case of all of these, we 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 used to, we recently used right, to, but right. most of those ecosystems are gone. At, at, at the same time. Uh, so, so we have all these species native to these regions. We have wildlife adapted uh, to use these species, species um, especially with a lot of, um, you know, specialist relationships between uh, wildlife and uh, well, flora and fauna. So, I, I'm thinking about the regular home gardener, somebody who just has this uh, open expanse in their landscape, whether it's shady or sunny, um, but they just they just don't know what to do with it. It's it's flat lawn, it's flat mulch, it's a shady spot where it's just dirt because nothing can grow. It's so shady, you know, quote unquote, nothing can grow. Right. So these are, in essence, to me, when I look at them, they are they are de facto prairies. They're de facto grasslands and savannas hmm. uh, and meadows. And this, so so it's it's a it's a starting point um, for them to create the, the the ecosystem that will, you know, hopefully be beneficial and well and native to their ecoregion. Yeah, that's a really interesting way to look at it, and I think it's encouraging too because yeah, we are kind of starting in many ways with the right kind of recipe for prairie grassland ish sort of things, and I think it just takes time and effort. But I'm curious, and this is something I've been asking a lot of garden designers and especially those such as yourself with ecology in mind is one of the main questions I always get from friends. I'm sure you've gotten a million texts and emails and phone calls of what should I plant here? And you get a blurry picture of just like a random part (laughs) on the ground, but I get where that's coming from. People want to succeed and people really want to do the best they can for that space. How do you navigate that question of what's the best thing to hear? How do I make the most impact for the bees or the pollinators or the birds? Uh, to me, it's variety. Just have fun with it. But where do you land on that? It's such it is such a difficult question to answer. And you're right. I get it a thousand times a day. <laughs> I, I I have this landscape. I live here. What can I plant? And I'm just like, you know, my God, there's 20 questions I need to ask you in order to give you a, a fairly accurate response that's going to be helpful. Uh, so, so, okay. You know, I mean, just, just, just start, just start with asters. Maybe, you, right. you, I mean, you, you have, you have native aster species wherever you are. So start with one of those, throw some grass or sedge around it and may, maybe you're off to the races. Maybe you're not. Hmm. I like that answer. That's really curious. Yeah. And I feel like it's a, it's a nice sort of fallback on 
Asters are one of the most diverse families in the world, but they're also, we uh-huh. know where they're native, incredibly ecologically valuable. But it's also one of those moments where I try to communicate, like, just because it's not a bee doesn't mean that that plant is not serving something, right? It could be the microbes in your soil. It could be some sort of stem-boring moth. Uh, you name it. And and to me, that's where I think the variety really rings true. And and I really liked what Talami said in uh, his, his second book is just... This is where we can be indulgent. We can have a lot of things in a small space, particularly in grassland ecosystems, because they're always growing cheek to jowl. Yeah, we can we can have a lot of things, a lot of density, a lot of layers. And then this is where I will diverge and say, uh, you have a front yard landscape. You're the only one in your suburban neighborhood who's going to be doing this. Everybody else has wall-to-wall carpet. Uh, <laughs> you are going to stand out like a sore thumb. So you do need to think about aesthetics. Fair. Um, you know, what, I, what I've come to realize over the last, even just last year, is that I am not I am not practicing um, ecology per se. I'm not restoring a prairie here, okay? This Fair. this is not a prairie ecosystem in a suburban landscape, and it's never going to be one. Um, so I'm just trying to get some of that echo into the landscape uh, to, to, to start to rebuild um, you know, some of that um, connectivity that mobile species can find, like butterflies and birds and bees. So we do have to think about aesthetics. So mm-hmm. you can still have a, you can still have a lot of density, especially in the ground plane. You can cram in so many ground cover plants, things that are under 12 inches tall, and just jam them in here and there, and you know help them. You know, so that way they're competing well against weeds and and having site stabilization and really really amending that soil, rebuilding the soil life community. Um, but when it starts to get into the showier layers, um, I think if we want to meet. Uh, a lot of our neighbors in the middle and try to mm. eventually convince them that this is this is something desirable. We we have to have some traditional uh, landscape design aesthetics in the mix. Thank you for bringing that up. I get kind of lost in my own space on this because to me, uh, a fallow field is much better than a lawn and, and much prettier. But yeah, you're right. We do have to realize that most people don't think like us. And it's not that they're antagonistic. It's just they're only known one way. And the more we try to meet people where they're at, rather than trying to drag them all the way up the ladder to the top rung, the easier it's going to be. And I think aesthetics is a huge part of that. And and a garden designer once said to me something that stuck and it makes me laugh every time I say it is he goes, I'm not nature's secretary. I'm not here <laughs> to necessarily reenact what I saw in that prairie patch or in that forest, but I can get inspiration, bring elements of that back and design something that appeals to much more people because let's be honest most people aren't going hiking or going wandering out into a prairie to appreciate its beauty most of them just want to see nice pretty colors and textures on their landscape absolutely and and yeah and color color is the big one you know talking about bloom succession and if you have one aster um if that aster species uh, likes to be gregarious you know have three of those you know planted together 12 inches apart um you know to, to create a something showier for people driving by Right. And so when you're looking at a design or coming up with a design, are there sort of motifs or ideas that really ring true? Like, could you look at a garden you have designed and say, could someone say, is that 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 is a Benjamin vote? Like, we know what that is. (laughs) Or do you kind of like to experiment and play around a little bit and have some flexibility? I mean, obviously, it's based on the client and what they want. But, you know, how much of a fingerprint do you like to put on this sort of design side of things? 
my only fingerprint it probably is is with this with the uh, lead city weed inspector driving through the town and being <laughs> like oh that's 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 a that's a messy front yard that must be a monarch gardens project nice. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no we're 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 good we're 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 on good speaking terms i think at least yeah. we yeah so no i don't think i don't think there's a benjamin vote signature there's you know i'm 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 basically just taking a, a, you know and okay all, all, pretty much all of my clients who come to me, they are sold. You know, they right. are sold on everything I'm doing. They they've read so much of what I've talked about on my website, so they're just like, "Dude, go and do it." And <laughs> that that is so lucky. You know, I speak yeah. with other landscape yeah. designers around the country, and they're like, "You know, a client wants this, client wants that." You know, ninety nine percent of my clients call me and say, "I'm tired of this lawn. Get rid of it for me." I'm like, "Okay, um, do you want to see a plant list? Get rid of the lawn." so it's fantastic so i'm just you know i'm just out there it's 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 a very simple beginning process i'm thinking what is what is going to be my main bunch grass ground cover that i'm going to use out there and then i'll probably diversify it with some other bunch grasses for aesthetic reasons and just massing and drifting forb species that um uh, can can take or, or or would grow like that out in the wild that's great here. You know, I, yeah, I, I do hear that a lot. I hear a lot of people saying like, yeah, I'd love to do this. My clients don't want it. And I guess in a way, I'm sure it makes things very difficult at times uh, and you're narrowing the pool of potential clients, but having people coming to you saying, no, I want some version of this is, is pretty sweet. <laughs> I, I, I oh, one of my landscape design friends many years ago when I was starting out suggested a book to me and I can't remember the name of the book for the life of me, but it, it basically went through and said, what kind of landscape designer do you be, want to be? Um, how, what kind of clients do you want to work with? And I started, and I decided early on I wanted to have a, a niche service. This is what I do. This is what I enjoy. This is what I want to do. Um, if anybody wants to do this with me, give me a call. Um, I am not a bow and bow landscaper. I'm not, <laughs> you know, right. that's not that's not me. Don't call me. Yeah, and you got to know where you draw your lines, but. You know, one thing I love about what you did in this book is you actually do offer some examples of what a simple design looks like, a layout. And to me, that's always been very intimidating because I don't have that artistic side. I've never really honed those skill sets or, or had any training in it. And, you know, you see some things that uh, a good garden design firm, a high-end one will put out, and it's a work of art in and of itself on the piece of paper. But it doesn't need to be that difficult. It doesn't need to be painful. And that's what's really neat is, you know, you offer beautiful examples, but they're very approachable examples and they're visual, which to me is great because reading something is, you know, I, I need to see it sometimes to execute it. <laughs> you know, we're, we're we're sort of cheating a little bit when we're using native plants and, and, and thinking about uh, about native plant communities. If 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 you go to a, a wilder space and you know, the sun and the slope and the soil is very similar to what you have at your house. You know, I guess caveat, good luck with that. <laughs> if it's if it's somewhat similar, you can look at those plants out in the wild and be like, well, they're growing well together here. Perhaps they would grow well together at, at my house. And this is just really simplifying it. Uh, and, and that's and that's where you start, right? You you pick plants that all you, you do a lot of research. You got to spend a lot of time researching this. You 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 pick plants that that like to grow in the same conditions, and then you sort of can. You, I mean, you can go a way deeper than this. But that's yeah, that's where you start. And you know, I wasn't even going to put landscape plans in the book. I didn't even want to. This hmm. is where you have to ask me why. Okay, yeah, please tell me why. <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I, I don't even do landscape plans anymore. Oh, nice. <laughs> if a client, if a client wants a landscape plan, I'm like, well, that's going to cost X extra amount because that's going to take me all this time. And then I'm going to get out to the site and I'm going to rip it up and be like, you know what? This space feels totally different to me. <laughs> the way I'm seeing things is totally different. And so I just, I just do my plein air artiste painterly sort of thing. Hmm. And I mean, obviously beforehand, um, you know, when I'm selecting plants and thinking about the landscape before, you know, months and months before we're set to install, I'm making all kinds of different lists about about the plant behaviors, their growth habits, um, how I expect them to reseed when they bloom, what their winter interest is going to be like, uh, forage, habitat, all, all, all kinds of different lists. So I'm putting all that in my head. Um, and I just sort of bring it visually in, in, into my mind and then I just sort of throw up on the landscape. <laughs> I love that. That's uh, great. But you know, the, I mean, the plants, look, the plants are going to move around on their own anyway. I'm just setting a dynamic process mm. in motion. Nice. I appreciate your honesty and I think a lot of other people were going to go, oh, thank you. Okay, good. I don't have <laughs> But that's another really fun part about all of this process and it's something I've come up against a lot in recent years is people that are like, well, this was here last year. Why? It's gone. I'm like, no, look three feet over. Plants do move. They do it very slowly and in different ways than animals do, but you have to be willing to allow the landscape to evolve a little bit as well. And that's what is also fun about this this whole ethos you've put forward is allowing it to do that and still knowing that whatever's coming out on the other end is probably going to be really darn pretty. Yeah, no book, no website, no landscape designer who writes a design book uh, is going to be as helpful to you as just letting the plants teach you in your landscape because you could have the same plant that your neighbor does three doors down and they're going to be growing differently and doing different things. Totally. And look different and act different. And I can't tell you how many times, like, dude, this grows just fine in your yard. I'm three blocks over. I'm like, yeah, but microclimates, micro topography, heterogeneity mm -hmm. in the soils. Like there's a mm -hmm. lot of reasons why a plant is either going to kick butt, languish, or just kind of hang out, never really change. But you know, that's, that's for Prairie at part two. You know, I wanted this go. book to, I wanted this yeah. book to be simpler. <laughs> and, and again, in many ways you have achieved just that. And what I love too, is it's, it's very beautifully designed in terms of the pictures that you put in. We were talking before I hit record about the effort it took to, these are mostly, if not all your photographs, but you've illustrated natural systems, you've illustrated sort of community designed systems. But the, the, the home examples are really approachable because it's not just these high end, multi-million dollar installations you've got everything from just i've got a little corned off area in front of my picture window to hey i want my whole front yard to look this way mm -hmm. exactly that was that was really important to me because you know I've, I, I've been working and talking with people especially on social media for years and years now and this is what they talk about this is what they ask for they say you know, I read book X by famous landscape architect, and it's that's not indicative of my landscape at all and, or, or of my skill ability. This is gorgeous, but I can't do this here for, for a host of reasons. So that's mm. my audience. Nice. Well, kudos for that because, yeah, I think so much of the garden design world and, and a lot of the pushback is that these high-end it, it just, again, seems so unattainable, so not doable. And the amount of people that are like, dude, I just have a balcony or I have a front porch on my apartment and a few pots or a hanging basket, like find the species that work for that. You can make a little bit of this prairie or grassland habitat uh, your own in, in multiple different kinds of scales. And, and it doesn't have to break the bank in the process. 
Yeah, you could have you could have a prairie in a pot in a in an apartment deck. Uh, what I mean, why not? Perhaps some purple purple poppy mellow and some little blue stem in there. I don't know. Let it rip. Yeah, there you go. And the other thing that you really pay attention to, and I appreciate you kind of putting in in, in very spectacular sort of forward facing ways in the book, is the attention to how our plants going to look at all seasons. It's not about this one blooming period where the plant looks good when it's flowering. It's about appreciate the change in color of the vegetation, the way the grass looks in the winter, if the snow's laying on it or winds passing through it, you know, it's, it's winter. It's, it's all forms of interest and not just winter interest. Yeah. Brown is a color too, right? And (laughs) (laughs) all, all, all of these quote unquote dead plants are performing so many ecosystem services and functions in, in the winter season. It just, it breaks my heart when I see people cleaning up their garden uh, in October and November. Yeah, my friend calls it the uh, mini insect apocalypse is just like all over every oh. leaf blower, every little mulcher going through. It's it's disheartening. And yeah, embracing sort of I don't even like to call it a messy garden, just a wild space. Uh, you know, this this appreciation of the function these plants are playing at all stages. Um, you know, I think that's just going to take time and a lot of really cool examples of, of how nice it can look. Yeah, and you know it's it, it it's not going to be any any messier in the winter than it was in the summer if you design that summer garden uh, intent with intention and carefully in the first place. Right now, obviously, there's a focus. It's it's native plants, but you know, would you consider yourself in in the greater scheme of things a purist? Are you only working with? And I don't say that derogatorily. Uh, are you only working with native plants, or do you see room for some exotics and uh, with the caveat of extremely well-behaved exotics. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that bringing out that, that magic eight ball, are we? Oh. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I hate to use the P word, but you know, I, I'm, I'm less, I'm less of that P word than I used to be because I have, I have some clients who say, gosh, we really want a conifer over here. And the only thing that's going to work, you know, I feel like my only choice is red cedar. That's an invasive species out here, even though (laughs) it's native, uh, we're not going to plant that. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm definitely 99.9% and I'm probably 95% straight species. Uh, the real difficulty is in trying to get uh, local ecotype plants. That's right. that's going to be the next huge hurdle. And it's a huge hurdle everywhere. I think it's, it's just going to be a while. Yeah, it, it just takes, you know, we've heard a lot about supply chain in the last few years, but a lot of these things are major economic forces at play. And yeah, it just takes a lot of time and demand and just a lot of effort to you know, work with people that maybe don't have things right away or maybe large quantities, but these small growers, these small, um, you know, purveyors of fine native plants, just give them some business every once in a while. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, granted for most of my plants, I'm using a large native plant wholesaler down in Kansas. So it, it's sort of the same ecoregion if you, if you have a really large circle on your, on your city. Um, but yeah, there are so many mom and pop nurseries uh, around. So if I need some specialty species, some, some, some more rare things I really want to try. Yeah. I'm absolutely going to go there. Yeah. But I mean, that's another great point is, is part of this recipe that you've outlined in this book, this sort of roadmap to success is, is outlining, you know, sourcing, for instance, and, and looking at the different tools to get the job done. And kind of going back to what we were hinting at earlier is, is learning the city ordinances and understanding what you can and can't get away with. Again, you have to play by the rules a lot of the time to get any sort of uh, modicum of change and then work from the next new starting point. 
I think I think even if you play by the rules and and and, and the rules are, are are written in such a way that they can be interpreted by 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 city weed inspectors however <laughs> way they want to, which is the point. They've told me this, um, yeah. but if you play if you play just by if you play just by the rules, you're you're never going to push the needle, and people are still going to be upset with you. Um, when you when you remove that when you move, remove that lawn, um, you're going to realize that the easiest part was researching the plants and digging them in. Now <laughs> now comes the now comes the advent and you you are in it now now you have done your fair amount of advocacy on the internet and and you obviously teach a lot of classes and so how do you begin those conversations i mean sometimes they're truly fueled by anger and and mm-hmm. uh, and really resentment of how much of the 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 sort of background you're changing but there's got to be a happy middle ground and a way to approach this that can be constructive rather than just dividing the party lines it it is so tricky, and I think you know so many of us bring our own emotions and our own uh, backgrounds to these conversations that it it, it quickly becomes muddied, and it's it's it stops being about the plants themselves. It 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 becomes about all these other cultural and social things and 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 personal perspectives that we can't we can't possibly hash out in a conversation um, on the driveway for five or ten minutes. Yeah. Uh, we were installing a small front yard garden last year. Um, the the client had started out rough trying to convert their front yard. It, it would definitely, you know, could, could could have looked better, but they were so passionate about it. You know, bless their hearts, and they they called me and said, "We have to make this look better because we're our neighbors are upset." So we're out there installing the new garden, and one of the neighbors came across the street, and and just started fuming at me. Oof. You know, I mean, the clients weren't even at the house. It was just me who took all all, all this vitriol, and I, Yuck. you know, I. I just had to be professional about it and say, well, thank you very much for your opinion. I appreciate it. And he walked away. Hmm. Yeah. Sometimes that's the only thing you can do. <laughs> I don't know. It's but But again, I think, I think so much of the time, it's not about the plants. It's not about the garden. It's, it's about so many other things in our lives that that's, that's what's going on. Yeah, that is all too true. I think more often than we'd like to admit, but uh, you know, we're all human at the end of the day and we're just as fallible as the next person. <laughs> <laughs> extremely fallible. <laughs> yeah. And so with that in mind, if people want to find a copy of this book for themselves, pick it up and learn and, and implement, where do you recommend they go looking to find out more about this book and more about yourself and, and Monarch Gardens LLC? Yeah, you can just Google you can just Google that business name right there. You can go to my website, order a signed copy. You can get a, a copy of the book directly from the University of Illinois Press. You can support your local independent bookstores as well and get a copy through them. That's that's all fantastic. Excellent. Well, Benjamin, thank you so much for taking time to talk to us about this, but also taking the time to write this book. It's not easy, and of course, tomorrow there's going to be more information you wish you would have crammed in there, but it's a starting point. It's a really beautiful, uh, wonderfully digestible introduction to this topic, and I think a lot of people are going to benefit from it. So again, thank you. Thank you so much. Of course. Well, in the meantime, hang in there, stay healthy, and prairie up. All right. Fantastic stuff. Isn't Benjamin just a wonderful personality? I really enjoyed talking with him and I can't thank him enough for taking time out of his busy schedule to talk with us. Once again, his book is called Prairie Up, an introduction to natural garden design. And I will add links to that as well as his garden design company in the show notes over at indefensiveplants.com slash podcast. So go check it out and make sure to pick up a copy for yourself. Even if grassland gardening is not for you, there's plenty of great advice in this book, and it is absolutely beautiful. It's worth just keeping on your coffee table just to look at. But you're going to learn something along the way. I can guarantee that. 
Of course, if you are enjoying the show and you want to ensure that the show can continue, please consider supporting it. There's many different ways of doing that. For instance, you can become a patron over at patreon.com slash plants, where you can get great kickbacks, including stickers and access to mini bonus episodes. You can also pick up a copy of my book, some of our customizable merch and stickers, and all of those links are also found over at indefensiveplants.com slash podcast. I thank everyone who has supported the show thus far. You really make a difference, and I couldn't be doing it without you. But that is it for this week. I thank you all for listening. Make sure to hit that subscribe button and keep checking back in. But until next time, hang in there, stay healthy, and get outside if you can. This is your host, Matt, signing out. Adios, everyone.